Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good evening, everybody. It's a, a rather later evening than usual doing this podcast, but I don't know, just got a lot on my mind. Need to sort of vent it out. I was just having a conversation and uh, a good friend of mine and I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things where sometimes you you just never you never know what's going on with inside of somebody else's brain and what other people are dealing with and sometimes they reach a point where all of a sudden they just got to talk about it and they tell you about it and uh I don't know. It's it's a, an opportunity, I think, for someone else to be able to just sit there and listen. Maybe shed a little light here and there, but mostly just listen. Because it seems like, I don't know, it seems like uh, there's quite a few people, at least in my life right now, and I, I don't doubt for a second that it's kind of not everywhere else with just about everybody right now that, uh, I don't know, things just aren't going the way people want them to, or I don't know, they're having hard times with issues or this that and the other thing and uh, it's just impressive to to be able to I don't know it's impressive but it's also sort of yeah I don't know it takes me aback a little bit just to sit there and talk to somebody who who really wants to just vent and pour their heart out and get it off of their chest in a way which uh, I think is is definitely one of the most therapeutic things that anybody can do. It's not an easy thing to do by any means, especially if you're going to be a hundred percent honest, but I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a strange, I know this can be a bit of a strange podcast, uh, and I'll keep this part short because I'm going to throw in the story, which I think is aptly timed. Uh, unlike my, my one, my podcast about, you know, what it's like to be a live aboard, how you do it, where you go, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, let me just follow that up with a disaster at sea. I don't know what I was thinking on that one, but hey, uh, brain's a little little foggy. Last couple weeks has been full on just, just try and be as productive as humanly possible. Uh, and, you know, sort of forego everything else while I have a little bit of time to basically just work and then sort of produce content via, you know, YouTube or the podcast and stuff because trying out some new stuff and, and everything. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, 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 I'm going to just vent, I guess, here for a little bit and then, then we'll get into the other stuff. But, uh, we'll get into the story of Satori. Which is really just a fascinating, I don't know, West Sail 32 in a in the perfect storm, and then it gets portrayed by Hollywood and all that sort of stuff, and even by the book, but then there's sort of a whole other side to the story. It does really, really teaches, uh, I think, that old adage of you can't judge a book by its cover, but 
Who knows? Listen to me pontificating, criminy. I don't know. It's just uh, it's one of those things where it's it's very hard to try. I don't know. As as somebody who has spent so much time by themselves out on a boat, where any any and every problem or issue, whether it be mental, physical, um, having to do with the goal at hand, having to do with the weather conditions, anything like that is all just laid straight on one person. And there's no, you know, besides a camera, but a camera doesn't really, camera never talks back to you and never tells you what it thinks or anything like that. I don't know. There, there really is that, that human connection is so important, I think in, in people's lives and I've felt it myself over the last couple of years, just the the sort of isolation. I, I'd almost say that I, in in some ways and in some little chunks of time, I've felt more isolated and alone while I've been here on land uh, than I have ever when I was out at sea, even if I was near Point Nemo or Cape Horn or any of those places. And I think that has a lot to, a lot to say about, I don't know, just the world in general and, and what's going on sort of these days. But I don't know. I, I think in, in some respect, that's just, that's just somebody who's probably seen too much YouTube over the last <laughs> two weeks trying to figure out how to do my content sort of stuff. Uh, Cause you know, all the other weird stuff sort of kicks in and sneaks its way into your visual scope. But I don't know. It's, it's one of those things I'm up here and I'm working in this boatyard, and the people I work with are fantastic. And we have just, oh man, we've just been having so much fun. And I don't know, it's it's one of those things where I just I I I wish and I hope that that everybody is able, everybody is able to experience that, to be able to look forward to your job that you walk into, no matter what it is you're doing. Because it's it's not so much the task at hand, although I, I know sometimes it is, because it, it does feel good to sort of launch some of these sailors and, and stuff off and see how happy they are when the boat hits the water and the engine starts and whoop, they get to peel out of here. But for me, it's it's just working with a crew of people with a goal in mind and trying to do it with some panache and great attitudes and and all that sort of stuff, but it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, that I guess, again, throws into that whole thing. It's it's all about the relationships of the people you have around you, and, and sometimes some of those people are having a hard time, and I think the common thing is to try and hide that, because for whatever reason, it uh, it's sort of a taboo to be like oh man i am going through some rough stuff and i really want to sit here and talk to somebody about it but I, if i say that then they might think that oh hey you know what i'm uh i'm not all as put together as i look like i am i don't know i don't know if that has anything to do with social media and the way that uh you know people have for the last almost 10 years been trying to portray themselves in a certain light and then it makes it even harder to own up to it when things aren't going that well but I mean in everybody's life 
it's always, you're always going to have good times and you're going to have bad times. And in both of those instances, you're always going to want to have friends and people and relationships that you can sort of count on to get you through them or enjoy them with. Because yeah, I there were people talking about that like billion dollar lotto or something like that. I it's like the last thing that I would ever ever want. I feel like uh, you, you get thrown that much money, you're just gonna build walls around you because all of a sudden people are gonna try and come at you like a hawk. I don't know. It's not about that. It's not about money at all. It's all about the relationships and the friendships and the the community that you have around you because that's what really counts. And I don't know. It, it was just really interesting tonight listening and uh, and thinking about other people, too, that trying to just brighten up their days and bring a good attitude in and sort of offer assistance and all that. And I guess, I don't know, maybe that's all I'm trying to, to push out there because I, I do, I remember I got some emails a long time ago. I think there was some show that I did where I talked about calling people and and uh, people you haven't talked to in a long time, old friends that sort of, you know, have drifted away through time and dense distance or whatever. But it's it's one of those things you can always call people up because nobody's people are, you know, they're going to like to hear from you. And, the, you know, it's it can be this experience and that brings people back together. And I don't know, it just goes to show that friends and uh, relationships are are they are. I think the spice of life, to sound a little cliche, I mean, it really is. It's it's what makes life worth living, having people around you that you can get involved with and you can do things with and you can experience things with and you can help and they can help you. And building those sort of relationships, I, I think really that's, that's the true wealth of the world. And I don't know, it just seemed like... Uh, uh, for whatever reason, it seems like there's a lot of that going around in in sort of my orbit, so to speak, and I'm definitely trying to be there and and help people as much as I can, and because uh, I know that you know I I feel like I've always been able to reach out to people when things aren't going well for me. A lot of times, at least in the last five years since. Mighty Sparrow and I have been together. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those things where if I'm reaching out to somebody, it's via text message, and it's usually pretty short. So it's not, uh, and there's in in reality, there's nothing anybody can do to help me um, besides maybe an updated weather forecast. So I don't know. It's just been a sort of crazy evening here, I guess, and. Uh, I guess I needed to just vent out myself, and so I'm doing it via this podcast, and I don't know, it's it's been, after doing that 100th show, I went to try and nail down a couple of, uh, I had two people who had agreed to do the interviews and stuff like that, or, or the conversations, I should say, and we're going to get to them, but it just wasn't tonight, and it brought me down a little bit because I was really hoping to bring some more stuff. But in the end, I think it, uh, I don't know. I'm not too worried about it because I know before before they get out of here, <laughs> luckily, I'm part of the team that launches their boats. And uh, maybe we'll just put that in as a, uh, you know, a little 
Oh, oh, did you do the podcast with Jerome yet? Oh, no, you haven't. Well, we can't launch your boat yet, so you better get on that. <laughs> we got a little bit of what we call at the boatyard leverage. No, you don't have to pay when you get here because we have your boat and you're not getting it out of here without us. So I always thought that was pretty funny when I when I first pulled in up here to this uh, tonight, Marine. You know, I remember saying, hey, you guys need me to sign stuff. Do I have to pay in advance or anything like that? And they just looked at me. They're like, we've got your boat. You ain't going anywhere without paying, so don't worry. <laughs> I always thought that was so great. Oh, man. But yeah, I don't know. There's, I guess, I guess the theme of this this uh, little little venting session or whatever is is really all about uh, you know helping people out whenever you can, and a little bit of that is brought on by the story that's that's bouncing around in my head that I I did a little YouTube video about and stuff. But there is, um, I don't know. It, it's one of the nicest feelings in the world to be able to help somebody out, and I think it's one of the nicest feelings in the world as well to have somebody come and help you out. And I don't know. I I, I hate to say like, oh, it'll solve all the world's problems, but it's one of those things where if I think if if people just wanted to help each other out a little bit more and people also realize that other people will help them out and are willing to, then maybe maybe people wouldn't get so desperate and feel so alone in this world. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but it is, you know, it's just one of those things where if anybody's got that, that sort of stuff going on in their life, you know, reach out. Reach out to people. And you'd be surprised how people will absolutely pick up that phone and uh, and they will listen and they will talk and they will advise and they'll do everything. And, you know, it, it always helps. It always helps. Those relationships 100% absolutely help. So take that for what you will. And uh, I already feel better just saying that. That's like 13, 14 minutes of just me venting right out. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that where it is and try not to ruin those words that I just spoke. I'll probably never listen to them again, but I might hear some comments. I, I can't thank the listeners enough for sending emails in and, and comments and all that sort of stuff because I know a lot of you guys are seeing some of the, uh, the YouTube stuff I'm trying to put out and and everything. And I don't know, it's nice. It's nice to, I don't know. It's nice to see that people are are watching it and enjoying it and taking things from it. And I don't know, it's, it's definitely a pretty grueling schedule for sure. Uh, I had one, a great comment on YouTube where somebody noticed how filthy my hands were. And that's because basically I, I wake up really early, you know, in the 4 a.m. range to try to I'm trying to learn how to edit these things. And it, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And uh, uh, yeah, I work on that for like two hours and then go straight into work. And then I'm filthy by the end of the day. The end of today, I ended up weed whacking for I don't know how long and then came up and was it's weird to go from this like manual sort of work to all of a sudden, you know, on a computer and looking at timelines and trying to cover 
video with audio <laughs> and you're you're looking at your arms leaving brown smudges on the table and I don't know it's pretty crazy but it's it's been good it's one of those things where I've definitely felt so productive over the last couple of weeks more than more than I have in a long time and it, it's it's made me think so much about my time running some of these water sports centers back in my 20s and my 30s, you know, Bitter End Yacht Club and and a few others where it seemed like almost every day the goal was I want to do as much as I humanly possibly can until the day is 100% done and there's no more to do and let's party. I just I don't know, it was it was a feeling and an energy that that I think I lost for a little bit over the last couple of years, but it seems to be back in full force, if not more right now. And, and I just want to hold on to it, hold on to it best I can and just keep going and feel, feeling, feeling pretty darn good. And, and the comments and, um, and just all the emails and stuff and the support that, that the listeners and everybody, you guys, have all, all given me is, has been absolutely amazing. So I'm definitely going to keep charging hard and, and doing it. And I, I'll be leaving the boatyard for probably a month or so coming up here in about a week or two weeks. Going back to old Michigan for a bit, do a little family time, hopefully do a little camping and stuff, but... The content should not uh, be affected. I'm hoping. I'm gonna try my best. I don't, you know. I I walked up and I I wanted to. I I asked a guy if if he was good to still do an interview and and he was on to something else. And but he did say he was like, hey, just keep asking, just keep asking, and and we'll we'll get to it. But it's one of those things I I don't want to force it on people because I want them to be in the right sort of mood to sit down and have a good conversation. And so it is, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things I don't want to pin people down. And I know that, that, uh, just me getting on here and, and sort of pontificating on the, on the microphone isn't, isn't too bad, but I, I like mixing it up. I, I like having the, the just me talking sort of podcast and I'm really enjoying the storytelling stuff. Oh man, I, I got an email today about Vito Dumas. Holy cow. Like the original Southern Ocean solo sailor. So I went on Amazon to look his book. Holy cow. Like getting one copy of that book's like 70 bucks or something like that. Obviously it's out of print, but I don't know. I feel like if I'm going to do that story justice, yeah, I have to read the entire book, and I've never even seen a copy of this thing, but it's available, it's out there, and uh, I don't know, those stories have been fantastic, and then you get to sit downs and interviews. I was talking with my older brother, Sven, and he he was pretty upset that uh, he couldn't be up here to do the 100th episode, but, you know, he's he's pretty excited might be able to see him when I go back to Michigan. And I told him, <laughs> it's so funny too, because I told because he's got such a great voice and he's got all these experiences and everything. And he, he has in his head a few different shows that he wants to do because he loves, he loves guys like Jimmy Dore, Tim Dillon, all that sort of stuff. And I know he wants to do a podcast about, I don't know, I, I call it pop culture and politics, uh, 
because that's pretty much what those guys all all talk about. And and hey, you know what? I told them <laughs> I'll unleash you. You could just talk about whatever you want, and I'll try to chime in. I don't know too much about all that stuff, but he he definitely does, I guess. And uh, but I told him, you know, we're we're not going to just do one podcast. We're going to do like three. That way, we're banked up, and I can pump them out because hey, you know, I don't see my older brother or younger brother all that often anymore, and. I want to make sure I can spread those out, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's been a lot of fun, sort of mixing up the mixing up the the content and everything. And I'm definitely going to try and keep that going because, yeah, I mean, I I think right now the there's like four core things at this point with the podcast. There's just me talking about you know updates, what's going on, and all this. And then I get just the straight up conversation with somebody, and then we've got the uh, the podcast stories. And then the other one is sort of the ask the expert, uh, which I have a rigor, an absolutely phenomenal rigor coming on. And, uh, we'll be able to chat about, you know, everything from how to do it, when to do it, who to do it with all that sort of stuff. Uh, as far as your rig, your halyards, your wires, your mast, all that sort of stuff. Cause I'm still in the process of fixing my mast as well. And I don't know, it, it's, um, I don't know. It, it's been cool. It, it's, it's really neat watching sort of the, the podcast diverge into these different directions and such. And I don't know, again, it's, it's, it's all the feedback and the support uh, from all the Patreon and, and just the listeners, everybody it's it's been phenomenal. And, and it's amazing to see, cause they, I don't know, a year ago when I was putting these things out, I never would have thought, I, I, I still remember even thinking to myself like, boy, I, I am running out of stuff to talk about. I don't know. I, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this and try and keep doing one show a week. And so now I'm I'm more in the line of trying to do like three shows a week, if not more, just because I, I don't know, I've just been enjoying it so much. And I know once I nail down a few more of these people, uh, it's like every time I do a sit down conversation with somebody, all I want to do is another one with somebody else like the very next day. And uh, it's it's been cool. It's definitely, it's been uh, a nice shining part of of life that was a hundred percent unexpected you know two three years ago and i don't know it, it's very cool i i yeah that's all that's all i can say about it that's 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 pretty much it so i uh, wanted to give you a quick update on our old old pal and well i shouldn't say old because i actually don't know how old he is but uh let me pull this up our our that little west sale 32 that's down there just passing new caledonia headed uh just north of new zealand headed to tasmania is his final destination um and been looking at his track and again if you do want to see it go back to episode 87 click in the details and you can uh, click on his little iridium go link or his predict wind link but he's he's I believe now just due south of New Caledonia and he's heading to Coffs Harbor is the destination for a little bit of a refit because he's come all the way from Hawaii nonstop and uh, now he's in the real deal and 
Once you get into the, the Tasman and then into the Southern Ocean, those systems, because remember, it's wintertime down there. It's no joke. And yeah, so he's, he's right off there. Oh man, he might be hove too right now. I'm seeing an updated boat speed of 0.4 knots. Interesting. Uh, oh, still nothing. It says still nothing. 27 nautical miles traveled yesterday. The sea is like an un- undulating paddock, but blue. I can see anything when it moves for miles around. I had a lovely visit with a family of spotted whales or pilot whales. You know it's calm when you're not scared to keep the toilet paper on deck with you all the time. <laughs> Wind is forecast to come today. Something out of Australia. Da, da, da. Beautiful. Okay, so he's he is flat becalmed right now. There's a big system that's moving across uh, from Australia to New Zealand just south of him, but he's obviously not getting affected by that. And remember, those systems down there, they they go clockwise. So when initially, when one of those bowls over him, he's going to get northerly winds at first. So that's good for him because he's still got to get south. But if he's in the northern edge of the system, he's going to get hit by, you know, westerlies and then southerlies, which is going to slow him down. But I don't know. He's he's been going. I I want to say he's got to be like twenty days out, if not more, probably more than that from Hawaii. I know things like dropped off for a little bit, but yeah, I wish him luck, and I'm definitely gonna be watching that weather to see. Hopefully, he'll make it to Coffs Harbor, which is uh, uh like two hundred miles north of Sydney on on the Australian Gold Coast. And he makes it there safe and sound and then can wait for a good weather weather window to uh, hop his way down to Tasmania. Because, yeah, it's no joke. I mean, it, it, the last little passage that he has to do is Bass Strait, which, you know, if you remember the 98 Sydney to Hobart, that was, I think, six people were lost at sea uh, on that one. I don't know how many people retired out of that race. It was just an absolute nightmare. Basically, a bomb came through, um, you know, that second low-pressure system or whatever that they say in the Southern Ocean, you can, the really intense ones, you'll get a low, a big low-pressure system and then a smaller one that follows that's way more intense. And when that hits you, uh, it's going to be pretty much hell on earth. So I don't know if I have too much, uh, well... I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to look back to see. I'd have to look back in the log really to see if there was an instance where, I know when I went south of Australia, I hooked into like a low pressure chain, and there were three. Yeah, I guess that. Well, there were three low pressure systems that sort of linked together, rode those out, and then got to the South Tasman and got absolutely whooped by the last one. And uh, yeah, that was that one was pretty intense. So. I don't know. It's a wild world down there, so I wish him luck. Hopefully, everything will be safe, sound, and uh, and work out okay. But yeah, uh, other than that, we are we're doing good on Old Sparrow. I haven't been able to do too much work on her, but I have my projects list, and I've got everything pretty much pretty much ready to go. Um, at this point, it's it's once I receive the solar panels, we'll get to that, and then. I think this weekend I'm going to cut some G10 fiberglass composite for the new mounts for the winches on the mast to get those in. Still 
sort of debating on whether or not to take down the mast, although I know I need to. So, well, let's stamp that right now. I got to take the mast down, but I think I'm going to do that once I get back because it's been so hot and so ridiculously sunny and dry here in Maine that if I take that mast down and no longer have this giant sunshade that I built, it's going to be a scorcher for the next 12 days. And yeah, I literally, the boat does not go below 85 degrees until 10 something at night. And if you open all the portholes without screens in them, the mosquitoes get you. And so the screens, they sort of slow down the airflow. I don't know. It's yeah, those are my issues. Those are my issues. <laughs> uh, pretty ridiculous. So, in any event, thanks for everybody listening to uh, me vent out and talk a little bit. Hopefully, I've imparted some wisdom. I don't know. I've been up since 4 a.m. It's uh, it's now 9.20, which is uh, the old man past his bedtime. Yeah, that's that's basically how I'm feeling. Although, it is it is pretty interesting because in the beginning, when I first got up here and started doing the hard labor, and, and again, in the wintertime, before sailing up here, it was pretty much trying to work on these books and, and all that stuff. So just primarily sitting in front of a computer screen. Breaking back into full-on, fast-moving, hard labor, uh, I was whipped, absolutely whipped. But now I kind of feel like I could do it. Uh, for 8, 10, 12 hours in a day, and then and then I still have energy. I don't feel like I need to just come up on the boat and take a nap, which is, I don't know, it's good. I, I fear the day where I'm so old that uh, that's no longer a possibility, so I want to use it while I still have it. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, again, big shout-out to everybody for listening and supporting and all that. And if you want to reach out to the show, hit up sailingintooblivion.com. I tried, actually, believe it or not, I tried for like an hour to do a little editing to the old uh, website, and I don't know, it just, none of it would work! But hey, you know what? I'm going to try again tomorrow, and uh, hopefully, hopefully things will be a little bit better. Nothing more frustrating than technology. So, coming up now, we've got the sort of... I don't know. It's an interluding of three different stories all pulled together, all about the West Sail 32 Satori, which is legendary in our world because it went through and was part of the perfect storm. But it's told in a few different uh, few different ways. And it's kind of uh, nice to see one side, two side, and three sides of the story. And uh, it is a pretty crazy, crazy story. And it's a testament to just how well found these boats actually are and how much they can actually handle. So I think Mighty Sparrow might, uh, I don't think it's it's got that quite a legendary status by any means, but I think uh, Mighty Sparrow and Satori are, are sort of on that same shelf of, uh, of West Sales that have uh, been pushed by their owners to a certain point and uh, come out strong. So I'm just, I'm petting the teak right now on old, old Mighty Sparrow, just so you know, because I love this boat so much. So thanks for listening, and uh, here we go into the story. Welcome to Sailing Stories. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. As usual, aboard Mighty Sparrow right after work. Hands are still dirty. 
<laughs> little inside joke there. So today I've got a great story that relates a lot to my life because I own a West Sale 32 essentially because of the information I learned about one such West Sale 32 called Satori. And if you're familiar with the perfect storm, you know the boat Satori because that was a West Sale 32 that went through the perfect storm. A lot of stuff happened. It ended up making it through the storm on its own. We'll get into that in a bit, but it really is one of those crazy stories that, I don't know, it just proves the fact that these boats are absolutely made to take a serious beating, make it through, and bring you home safe. So there's a little controversy, though, with this story because the book The Perfect Storm by Sebastian Junger, which is fantastic, I love it paints a pretty different picture of the captain of that boat, Ray Leonard, and what's been described in some short articles by Ray's son, a different picture is painted by him as well about what went on and everything. The movie, you know, it's Hollywood. Movies are never going to actually tell the truth by any means. So they're just making it cinematic. They changed all the names. They changed everything in in that And really, that movie was focused more on the Andrea Gale, so it really doesn't matter anyway. But a lot of people are going to relate to it in any event. So essentially, uh, the background of this is they were, Captain Ray was basically, he owned the West Sail 32, and he was sailing from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, down, and he was headed to Bermuda, and then I believe down to the Caribbean. And this was a trip he had done plenty of times. And it just so happened it's in October of 1991, which was the year of the October storm, hence named the perfect storm. And essentially, uh, just after a couple of days of leaving, the weather gets pretty bad and then they're stuck in it and all the chaos ensues. So in the book, they talk about them basically um, heading out or the book in the movie. Let's let's. We'll, we'll dissect it in that. The What people wrote about it uh, as opposed to the story that people who knew Ray wrote about it. And I'm not making any judgment call on which is which, but essentially the book and the movie sort of portray it that he's, uh, you know, sort of a, uh, I guess you'd, you'd say overconfident and sort of laissez-faire attitude, you know, in the movie he says, oh, I don't, I've never made a heading, I just set the compass and I ride it, which... That whole phrase doesn't make any sense to me because uh, you use a compass to come up with a heading and you have a heading for where you're going. Besides the point, uh, essentially, that they get in this storm and and Ray doesn't think it's all that bad. And he, you know, the crew are freaking out and they're, they want to take charge of it. And they definitely feel like they need to be rescued. And there's 50 foot waves and all this sort of stuff. And they call the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard just comes in with a helicopter at night and pulls them out, and they all get saved, and the boat just sort of disappears. And that's the end of the story, uh, pretty much in the book and in uh, in the movie. And then what I think is more interesting and uh, is really the, the events that unfolded uh, as as written by uh, Ray's son. And essentially one of the prequels to this is that Ray had done quite a bit of sailing. Uh, He was going to do the trip by himself, and he's actually been caught very close to 
some pretty bad weather before, and so he's been through those sort of conditions. And again, it's a West Sale 32, so even though it's slow and it's wet and whatever, it's going to be able to handle quite a bit more than your average everyday sailboat. But in any event, they take off from Portsmouth, and he's got two crew members, Karen and Susan, on board. They were a little bit late arriving, so the whole day of safety briefing stuff uh, sort of had to get postponed. The forecast looked okay. Uh, again, this is back in 91, so the forecasts weren't quite as good uh, or as easy to obtain as they are now. There was a hint of a hurricane down in the Caribbean that might have been headed towards Bermuda. And I think, personally, that would have probably given me a bit of pause as far as uh, wondering whether I should keep going. And I don't know if they actually knew that forecast beforehand or if that was something they learned shortly thereafter. Um, I think if I, if there would have been even a, I don't know, if there would have been a chance of it, I probably would have said, well, let's we're, we're still in close. Let's head into Cape Cod. Let's do that. But, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Sometimes you just think, eh, we'll be fine. So in any event, they keep going. The winds start to build up, and on the second day, the winds get kind of hectic, and then again, he hears more information about the hurricane, and so instead of continuing to Bermuda, they decide, well, you know what? It's not smart. It's not safe. Let's go ahead. We're just going to do what's called lying a hull, and we're just going to wait right here to figure out what we want to do, because in this situation, if the winds, once they start building up, if you get to a certain point, you're sort of like, well... I don't want to head back into land or like Nantucket. I think that was the closest land because coming in to a port in really heavy weather is very dangerous. You can, you know, if you get a screw up, you don't have any sea room to be able to maneuver and fix things. You know, you could be right there on the rocks in no time. And so, plus, once you get in there, you've got to either put the boat on the dock or put it on a mooring buoy or anchor it, and that's all done in those weather conditions. So it's definitely not safe. Sometimes if you're already out at sea, it's probably a better idea to stay out there. But he didn't want to continue on to Bermuda. And so essentially what uh, Ray decided to do was lie a hull, which means you take all the sail down, you lash the tiller in the center, and you basically just sort of get pushed around by the waves. And I have never actually had to do that on this boat. I don't really have it in my repertoire of uh, options as far as severe weather, what I would do. I'm more of a active sort of guy, and I either am going to run with the storm or I'm going to kind of punch into it real slow or, you know, I'll hove too and very slowly creep but stay under control and into it because one of the things that I like about Hove 2 and fore reaching is that the boat maintains a bit of stability and when you don't have any sails up and you're in heavy seas boats tend to just get rolled all over the place and it's terribly uncomfortable and it can be very frightening and essentially that's what was happening aboard Satori. So they get knocked down within the first, I don't know, couple of hours of the waves really building up. And that sends fright throughout the whole crew. Uh, the captain, Ray, he's he's still doing okay because he's been through this before, so he's very confident in it. But his crew is not. And 
I have to say that it would have been pretty terrifying. I'm sitting down below in a West Sail 32 right now, and if there's like 20, 30-foot waves, and I don't have any sails up, and I'm getting tossed like crazy. They talked about being like lashed into their bunks, you know, harnessed in, which, man, that I can see psychologically how that would be absolutely terrifying. So his two crew members are going a little bit uh, panic mode, which is absolutely understood and uh, Ray decides to go up and set at least a storm jib and I think that that's going to do two things one it's sort of you're doing something so you're actually trying to actively uh, deal with the conditions out there and two even if it's a teeny little storm jib it should give a little bit of stability to the boat because now the boat's actually going to be moving and when I look at the YouTube footage, which I'll put in the description, uh, the YouTube footage of the rescue from the Coast Guard, it's pretty grainy and it's pretty uh, quick, but you can see that he just has this storm jib up. The waves are definitely really ugly. It's hard to tell from video. Uh, but yeah, so that's what he did, and the boat was sort of maintaining. And 12, 14 hours of building seas and just getting rolled around and... Pretty ugly stuff, you know, getting getting what the ocean can throw at you. Um, eventually, they get knocked down again, and boom, big wave hits. Mass goes in the water. They don't get rolled 360 like in the movie, but they get knocked down. And now, now the crew members are really just like, holy cow, because they go on deck. Ray goes on deck, and he finds that the life raft has been knocked out of its cradle and has inflated and is sort of blowing in the wind behind the boat. Because you don't want to have that, uh, it can damage stuff or the life raft will, you know, damage itself eventually. He cuts that free. And that's one of those situations where all of a sudden it's a game changer. Because you no longer have that safety net of a life raft. So that if that boat sinks, you're going down with that boat. There's, you know, he did have survival suits on board. So there is that, but... The idea of getting in a survival suit and just floating around in the water, um, I don't know, pretty terrifying. So, again, his crew members sort of go into full-on panic mode. Ray, again, is still, he's sort of like, you know, been through this before. We are safer on this boat right here that we will make it through this, but they want to at least report the position to the Coast Guard. So Ray ends up saying, you know, that's fine, go ahead. And they report the position. They say they don't need any assistance, but they just wanted to let people know what the situation was. But in those high wind situations, the atmosphere gets a little clogged up and the VHF might not be able to actually record what's going on on the other end. They were also, there was another um, a, a container ship called the oh, Gold Bond Conveyor. And they were actually trying to relay some of the VHF transmissions. And in that sort of, uh, you know, in that sort of coconut uh, telegraph line, essentially it, it got taken as a mayday call. And so the Coast Guard got involved. They wanted to come out and actually rescue them. They had uh, one of their big cutters. And obviously they've got the helicopters. And so they get out there and essentially get in touch with this boat with Satori and Ray says well my two crew members definitely want to get off I don't want to get off we're totally fine we are safe 
And uh, I think the guys on the Coast Guard cutter are like, well, you know, we're here. It's really ugly out. Uh, we don't want to have to come back out and get you, so we're going to make a call. And what they do is they call into the home base because the Coast Guard has the ability to declare any voyage manifestly unsafe. And if that happens, they can basically yank you off of your boat. And if you say, no, I'm not, they can yank your Coast Guard regu- uh, certifications. They can your captain's license, all that sort of stuff, and make it so that you can't sail that boat back into the United States. So they've got you uh, by the short and curlies, so to speak. And um, Ray didn't like it, but Ray realized he was in that situation where he was like, okay. So they try, and this doesn't make any sense to me, but the Coast Guard tries to, so they launch like this 21-foot inflatable rescue boat in the perfect storm sort of conditions, which again... Wasn't hundred foot waves, uh, at least not at their their spot. You know, the the really bad stuff was happening hundreds of miles away up by Sable Island, but where they were, you know, 30, 40, maybe fifty footers. Who knows? Um, to launch a twenty one foot boat in that would have been insane. I I just don't understand it. So they launch it, and what they're thinking is they'll drive right up, pull up to the west sail, put the people on board, pull them back, take them over to the Coast Guard cutter. Easy peasy. Not happening. Not happening at all. They end up getting out there, get close to the West Sail. And I've I've thought about this as well. If I ever get boarded by the Coast Guard and I'm in any sort of ocean conditions, like I'm going to have to like go hove to or position the boat just perfectly so that, um, you know, a, a little power boat can pull up because these boats are really rolly out in any sort of waves and not easy to get on and off of. So it's it really is. I don't understand what they were thinking, but in any event, they cruise in and he's got a wind vane, just like Mighty Sparrow on the back, which is the absolute worst place to board this vessel. They get picked up by a wave. There he's pops. They're inflatable. And now all of a sudden the Coast Guard needs rescuing by the Coast Guard. And, you know, Ray's sort of, Ray must have been like, I told you guys not to do that. And you did it anyway. So now it's up to the helicopters, and the helicopters come out, and they end up doing the old drop, drop the rescue swimmer and and the little uh, basket, and they pull them up. You know, they, those guys are the absolute pros, lifesavers. They've saved thousands of people, and they end up pulling all three of them off. And Ray ends up, you know, he's down below and he's packing up. And this was sort of interesting because I think in the book they talk about. Ray being in his bunk and taking nips off of a bottle. And so obviously like, you know, taking a couple of shots here and there and who knows, who knows the move, the, I don't know if the movie actually shows it, but even in, even in this, um, even in this little article written by his son, he does say that Ray goes down below just before he's about to jump in the water after the other two already have. And, uh, he sort of opens the liquor cabinet and takes one last final shot for the boat, which I totally can understand that 100%. Every time I do a voyage, I the first thing I always do once I'm sort of set sail and I'm clear of land or whatever, bottle of something comes out, toast it, usually dump a little of Buzz's ashes overboard, um, toast to Mighty Sparrow, toast to Buzz, take one for me. In any event, he does this thinking, you know, he might not ever see this boat again. But he battens down all the hatches, 
sets everything up and boat still got the storm jib on it. Everything's, you know, it, it could essentially keep going. And uh, he he's packed this little bag with his passport, wallet, all that sort of stuff, the really valuable things uh, that he's kept on the boat. And when he jumps in, accidentally gets caught up and the bag stays on the boat and he's in the water and he can't get it off. Um, and they end up taking him. He's in the helicopter and they go back. And pretty much the next day, Ray's just like, I got to go find my boat. I know it made it through that. I'm going to go find it. It's got to be right out there. And for days, he ends up renting planes and contacting Sito, and they would spot it, but then they couldn't find it when they got on the water. You know, back then, again, it wasn't super sophisticated with the GPS stuff. It's not like find my phone. It's, you know, find this boat in 500 square miles of ocean. It's not easy. And eventually, the boat gets spotted by some park rangers near, I believe, Ocean City, Maryland, or Ocean City, New Jersey, and it's beached itself. And they get up there, and they find it. They dig a little trench. He has to rent one or two different boats to actually pull the boat off, but he ends up floating the boat right off in there and then towing it into Ocean City, Maryland, which is actually where I did a pit stop recently on the last trip up, and that any damage that was done to the boat was only done once it beached. The actual storm and the conditions, even without any crew on it, no real damage happened to the boat. And it really is just a testament to how strong and how well-built these old West sails are. And that's why even, even at almost 50 years old, these boats are still out there plying the oceans and you know, going through heavy weather and making it back, not fast, but safe and sound. So I don't know. Um, I think really my takeaway from that whole thing is that I'm just glad those stories are out there because again, that was a, one of the major influences for me to purchase and look for a West Sail 32 to do my voyage, which attending to go all the way around the world by myself and nonstop, which 2017 and 18, we did it. So it was definitely a success. And uh, I want to thank all the people. So obviously, uh, Sebastian Younger with uh, The Perfect Storm. It's a great read. You should definitely check it out. And then, um, yeah, Ray Leonard and his son for putting out sort of their version of the story. I think that's pretty cool. And yeah, other than that, um, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I haven't made my mind up on which side of the story I sort of believe more. But I tend to think that uh, if Ray's done a decent amount of solo sailing and he's made some trips, I kind of have a feeling it was one of those things where he might have been able to handle it. But one of your responsibilities as a captain is to make sure that your crew also believe in you. And one of the things that I learned when I was in charge of a lot of sailing instructors was that you really had to make sure that those instructors realize that anybody they have on their boat is less experienced and they always have to be able to look to you and you need to exude the confidence to make sure that they then have confidence. You know, it's kind of like you, you wouldn't want to be on an airplane and have the stewardesses with every bit of uh you know, turbulence, start running up and down the aisles, I'd probably be like, what is going on? Oh my gosh. Cause it's, I'm out of my comfort zone. But if the, you know, there's turbulence and the stewardesses are just walking around like, ah, oh, yeah, totally normal. That makes me feel better as well. So I don't know. That's sort of my takeaway. 
Hopefully you enjoyed the content. We've got more videos coming up and I'm working currently on the video, uh, the first part of my voyage around the world. It takes a little longer because I'm cutting in videos from that trip. And uh, I'm a sailor, not an editor. <laughs> but thanks for watching, and uh, there's more to come.